we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Welcome to America Out Loud, The Pulse. A pulse ahead of everybody else. This is on a wonderful website by our dear friend, Malcolm. He has been revising the website, americaoutloud.news. He's such a new version up. It's exciting. He is becoming more and more of a force. And he has so many of us on his radio station, uh, Peter McCullough's there, Harvey yep. Reich is there. It's just a wonderful yep. group of people. So giving a, a, a real thanks to the new year and Malcolm and his friendship and uh, his courage and standing up for us when we've come under attack, which we might talk about a little bit today. We rarely talk about those issues. Sure. And just to catch up, this is Dr. Peter Bregan. Oh, MD yes. speaking, and this and is Ginger Bregan. He is Ginger Bregan. Hi, folks. <laughs> um, we try to be spontaneous. It's hard for us. We're so rigid. <laughs> He's teasing already. So last time I teased at the beginning of the show, she threatened to pull the plug and start over again. <laughs> we have a really lovely guest today. I, I wish you could see him. He's a wonderful smile. Um, his name is uh, Emmanuel Garcia, MD, after difficult negotiations we decided to call each other by our first names he's manny <laughs> i'm peter but we are mddds <laughs> right i'm having a happy day you are I'm, i i i have fallen in love with my wife yet again hopefully and i can't i can't withhold the information <laughs> now <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> Mandy is really an interesting man. Interesting man. He's a psychiatrist. I thought I might have to forgive him for it, but I don't. He's a. I'm sure when before he retired, he was a wonderful psychiatrist, a good man. He was trained in Philadelphia, a hot hot of the worst in medicine, as bad as Harvard and other such places, but he survived it. And he emigrated, maybe he'll tell us why, to New Zealand in 2006. And um, he's a member of New Zealand Doctors Speaking Out with Science. And that's uh, www.nz for New Zealand, D-S-O-S, M-Z-D-S-O-S.com. And he's written about a lot of different things. We we have been uh, enjoying his uh, Substack, which is New Zealand Doc dot Substack. It's a great title, New Zealand Doc dot Substack. And he writes about psychoanalytic technique. He writes about music, creativity, and the great masters. He retired from psychiatry in twenty twenty one. Now he's in New Zealand. Remember, not the U.S because he saw it coming, the forced inoculations if he stayed, and he simply left. And then, like many of us in America, he ran into uh, trouble with the licensure people, 
His license was suspended for truth-telling. And he said to them, I don't need you. He deregistered and just left it behind. This is so interesting. Maybe we'll get to talk about that uh, in some length. Um, but first, just welcome to the show. We've really enjoyed meeting you already. Um, you have a true grit. Um, I explained to him that I rarely meet a man who says what I want to say, but I haven't quite dared say it. And this is a, a quote from him, and then we're just going to dive into the interview. His quote is from his Substack, uh, New Zealand Docs newsletter. Um, Pick a side, he says. To deny that genocide visited upon us has been deliberately perpetrated, regardless of what you may invoke in a way of prudence and reason and thoughtful consideration, is to join the ranks of its perpetrators. Pick a side. The line is clear and time is short. Yeah, I'd say that too. And uh, I haven't said it that clearly now. So you give me voice there. Well, it, it's a privilege to be able to, for, to hear you say that, and it's a privilege to be able to speak with you and Ginger today. And I mean, I've known about your work for quite a long time. I've admired your work. I regard your book as one of the foundational books for our current era with COVID. It's really a, a magisterial work, profound, in-depth, tremendous scholarship, and it really delineates what we're going through um, in a um, very informative, a uh, well-researched way. So, um, thank you, thank you for that. I think I'll call you Doctor instead of Mandy. I mean, that deserves. <laughs> thank you, really. Doctor Garcia. Um, the book, of course, is COVID nineteen and the global predators. We are the prey. And by the way, you can get that book from us on wearetheprey.com, but you can get it on our website. And you can get it from. Uh, you know the uh, any of the online you know, uh, amazon.com and and um a lot of people don't like to buy from amazon but that of course records it and that's being sold but we also love you if you just want to get it from us however that's only the u.s so if you're listening from new zealand you have to go to amazon amazon or or any of your uh largest online bookstores or retail outlets so you were reading my stuff, and um, you've said wonderful things about also about our earlier work going all the way back to talking back to Prozac, and you talked about your outrage at the book we were criticizing, which was one yeah. of the theories we were criticizing um, by. In, that was in back in the nineties. Listening to Prozac, yeah. And um, how did you practice psychiatry? What did you do? Well, I, I trained, I was an analyst. I was a bona fide Freudian analyst, really, for many years. And, and in fact, uh, I trained in Philadelphia. I was a good friend of Kurt Eisler of New York. And we actually, I'm his literary executor uh, at the moment, wow. uh, since okay. he's passed away. And I've been involved with the Freud archives, et cetera. But I trained, I, I practiced, in my practice after I graduated from residency and at the Institute of Pennsylvania Hospital, was in psychoanalysis, psychoanalytic therapy, and, and psychiatry. Uh, I would say, I, you know, I using pharmaceuticals was a very small part of the practice. 
Um, and it was mainly uh, really analytic talk therapy, um, in-depth therapy. I tended to see people, you know, several times a week intensively. And then uh, at a certain point in time, uh, I decided to emigrate to New Zealand. And that was a consequence, I, you know, of many, many factors. And there's no one factor that creates a decision or a circumstance or many factors come together although one factor may be an overdetermining one. And I decided I was so sick of the wars that the uh, United States was prosecuting in the Middle East, the war on terror, the, uh, the killing in Iraq, I mean, all, all that stuff, the Bush regime. And um, I thought it'd be a good time to maybe make a change, go to a different country where there was a spirit of freedom, well, I'll talk about that later on, about the spirit of freedom here. Right, of course. Uh, and, and natural beauty and whatnot. And so I went to New Zealand, and then I practiced basically, quite basically, basic psychiatry in the public health system. Now, that's a big change, a big transition, a big shift, because you're dealing with the most critically uh, acute patients in a system that was never strong to begin with and is failing really quite uh demonstrably miserably right now but you're doing your best and uh, i did have some I, I did some good i think i did some good things in that practice i when i worked in an inpatient unit i i drastically reduced the uh use of seclusion for example which i thought was an abomination i mean it is, a terrible yeah. abomination uh i i don't think i ever prescribed ect uh, maybe once when a patient begged me for it uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and I said, it's not gonna, I don't think it's going to help you, it's not going to work, and I was proved correct after that. Uh, so I tried to minimize the use of, uh, of the heavy-duty medications whenever possible, but in this system, you're pretty much a, a prescribing practitioner, and unlike in the States where there's a sort of, you do have a bit of a, I wouldn't say reverential uh, authority, but you have a you have an authority as a doctor. Uh, the system is very different here. You tend to be like a cog in the wheel of a system that uh, is managed not very well and managed with with a lot of bureaucratic malice, uh, which I'd never come up against in my life. I'd never seen that in the states, uh, Peter and Ginger. I'd never seen that. Okay. If you were here now, you'd see it all the time. Yeah, I I know. I think things have changed. So I was yeah. so surprised by that. But so that so I, I I did that. I also what I also did was I I brought psychiatry out to the to the poor areas to their uh, to the uh, practice organizations, the GP offices, and I ran a clinic in a very very poor area, a uh, day and a half a week, and another half a day in another place. Similarly, and I love that bit because there I could liaise with the GPs, get people seen quickly. Uh, go around the usual crisis stuff, which took, which was so clumsy that people weren't even seen by the service in a timely fashion, and keep people out of the hospital. I kept a lot of people out of the hospital, so that was that was the good part of that kind of work. Um, and then came COVID, and then the whole world turned upside down, and New Zealand was part of that world. I think New Zealand was. Uh one of the forerunners wasn't it in caving into that whole process oh, oh really, everything yeah it was you know new zealand's got a, a rich history of being a, a positive forerunner you know uh, women's suffrage and and all kinds of stuff uh 
Well, anti-atomic anti, anti weapons and stuff. Anti-atomic weapons, You wouldn't exactly. let our boats in with their atomic weapons. And- yeah, so you had this beautiful, you know, independence and, and good, you know, good values and whatnot. And in this regard, the, the hidden hand of totalitarianism emerged very, very clearly. I mean, we went through lockdowns, two big lockdowns that were really, really severe. Unbelievable. And it's all the worse because we had such an opportunity to be a world leader in how to manage this whole thing. We're an island nation. All right, I'm okay with shutting down the borders and seeing what happens as you learn about this thing. But there's no need to imprison the healthy. There is no need to impose these ridiculous, useless, defacing masks. There's no need to uh, get rid of informed consent, which is, uh, you know, I was going to talk to you about that today. They basically sent, the medical council sent out letters to doctors telling them that there was no space for any anti-vaccination messages whatsoever. All doctors and dentists were uh, expected to get the jab. And just two years before, they had published this you know, eloquent document on how important informed consent was and how you had to have shared decision-making with the patient and advise them of all the risk and benefits and yet they come out with this document that they just revoked actually in 2021 uh, that says you basically can't say anything negative about the jab, okay? I mean, it's it's absolutely astonishing. I've never seen such an upheaval, but the country itself, uh, you know, on the basis of one positive test, so-called, in Auckland, the second lockdown occurred and the whole country was shut down again for weeks. I mean, insanity, complete insanity. And then, and I always tell people when they say, well, you know, you, you're, don't be a conspiracy theorist. Blah, blah. I said, okay, in a pandemic, if there's a really serious medical issue and you're trying to help people, what's, what's the first rational impulse you have as a doctor? Well, you sort of, you want to treat people, right? <laughs> you want to, you want to treat their symptoms. You want to keep them out of the hospital. You want to find a cure, find a, whatever it is. There was nothing of that, nothing. okay? Nothing. That is the clearest signal to anybody who argues there was nothing of that. Why was there nothing? Why was there nothing about prevention, treatment? The treatment was stay home. If you can't breathe, come to the hospital, and then I guess we'll figure something out. And we'll ventilate you. And we'll ventilate you, you give you remdesivir sed- and whatever. But- and put you on sedation, and you'll yeah. uh, have an 80% chance of dying. Yeah. So yeah. that was really, uh, so this whole world, the whole world really changed. And Peter uh, and Ginger, that's why I say, you know, you, the global, there are global predators. This is not a, this was a globally orchestrated phenomenon. This is not just a bunch of countries, you know, falling like dominoes because one country did this and somebody said that. This was globally orchestrated. And some more proof about that is, I don't know if you know about this institution called the Federation of State Medical Boards. Yes, in but the U.S. In the U.S., yeah. Well, I've, yeah. I've written some articles about that, and a good friend and colleague has done some interviews exposing that the widespread influence they have over medical boards all throughout the U.S. and internationally. That part I didn't so, know. So that, for example, Joan Simeon, who was the CEO of the Medical Council here, is now the chair, elect, chair rather chairperson of the of their international arm, the International Association of Medical Regulatory Agencies. They're all in it together, Peter. 
Okay. Yeah. And that's why what they did was, and how they silenced, you know, there are 18, 19,000 registered doctors in New Zealand. Okay. They know about informed consent. I would assume at least the half of them have a good idea what informed consent is and what their duties are as physicians. All right. Mm-hmm. How did they forget about informed consent when it came to this jab, this experimental agent with which, as we know, doesn't prevent transmission, infection, and I thought was very dangerous when I first heard about it and unnecessary. Well, what? How? Here's how they did it: the medical council decides to suspend the licenses. Or this is this is 2021 of three doctors, one of whom is me because we had spoken out about concerns about the jab, about everything, about all these things. And so that sent a very clear message to yeah. all the other doctors here. If you dare to go against what we want you to say, you're on the hit list. And there are still my colleagues here and uh, are being persecuted for the sins of having prescribed ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine and whatnot. There are at least 20 doctors now under professional conduct complaints and tribunals and whatnot. It's disgraceful. What a clear uh, mind you have. You give you such a clear and empathic description of what's going on in your country. And the fact, folks, is it's identical to what's going on in every country of the Western world, in every country that previously pretended to have a constitution and to believe in freedom every single one, orchestrated beyond belief. And um, uh, you're giving me some new information. I didn't know that the, about the International um, Medical yep. Board. And give me the, the name of that again. I don't know if Ginger got the International Regulatory. The, yeah, it's I-A-M-R-A or the I-A-M-R-A. Yeah, International Association of Medical Regulatory Agencies. Yeah, thank you. It's it's the international arm of the FSMB, the Federation of State Medical Boards. We're, we're um, talking with Manny Garcia from uh, all the way from uh, New Zealand. It's a pleasure. We're going to go to break now. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. We're back with Dr. Emmanuel Garcia from New Zealand, trained in the U.S., an American. Where were, where were you born? Where did you grow up? Uh, I was born in Philadelphia, grew up in Philadelphia. Wow. 
It's a unique city. I think uh, people will come from there. There's a character to the city, and you hear people talk about it a lot. Yeah, well, actually, I've just gotten reacquainted with Mario Alonso, who was a, uh, a Philadelphian, uh, born and raised not too far from where I was born and raised. The great uh, tenor became a big uh, movie he's still star. Alive. No, no, he's been dead oh. for quite a long time. Yeah, that's uh, what Alonso, I thought. No, yeah. but, uh, but you're getting acquainted but, with his history. I'm reacquainted. I'm re. You know, I used to be. I, I like opera. I, yeah. Actually, I should tell you know when I was in the states, I was the uh, psychiatric consultant to the Curtis Institute of Music. And that's a, a, a great conservatory, you know, tremendous, talented people. And, and for about 10 years, I uh, did therapy with students. I did meetings with teachers and health education seminars and injury prevention seminars and whatnot. I had a, it's a great institution, wonderful place. Many fabulous classical musicians have come from that. But, uh, you know, I've always loved opera and classical music. And um, anyway... When I in my opera salad days, uh, the word in Philadelphia was, "Oh, Lanza, yeah, he wasn't really a real opera singer. He was a movie star, and he had a small voice." Well, I've since learned he had actually had a magnificently big and beautiful voice. Yeah, I thought so. And that's another see, this, <laughs> Yeah, and this is the thing, you know. This is what I mean about truth, Peter. It <laughs> people have an aversion to truth. What is it with people? I mean, just tell the truth. We don't need anything. And that has to do directly with this kind of COVID stuff. People have been lying to us. All right? Well, one of the things that the, that the, that the that socialism, I don't know what your politics are, but in my view, anything collectivistic wants to destroy the individuals. Yeah. And Lanza, by having, oh, I remember sitting in a movie theater, Gingy, um, I'm probably 13 or 14 years old, and there's four of us boys in a row, and we're, it's a movie with Mario Alonso, and I have no idea what it was. And he's singing in this sweet and gentle voice, and I turned to one of my friends and I said, but it's not a really big voice. And then all of a sudden, boom. <laughs> so I actually specifically remember this. I was putting the guy down. I don't know why I thought I had to do that, but um, um, well, I was twelve, probably. But, um, but it was magnificent, and I've never heard. I'd never heard it because it wasn't a. We didn't listen to much opera, or yeah. much in the way of the, that kind of thing in our home, and it was just incredible. I'd never heard anything like it in my life. Incredible. That's, That's a beautiful story. That's a beautiful story. Yeah. <laughs> but I recognized it was sweet and gentle. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, probably what had, you had really, trouble with. Yeah. He, trouble he with really had a great, no, he had a great, truly great, beautiful, beautiful tenor voice. In fact, actually, I, uh, you know, I, at an earlier, at that time in my life in the States, I was very much into opera. And I've heard, I heard Luciano Pavarotti when, before he became really famous. Um, anyway. Uh, that's, I guess, another direction we can take. On, I want to pick up on something else you were sent, said earlier, where part of why you left the country was the the wars. Uh, and you mentioned uh, probably George Bush's attacks, the second George Bush, uh, the, yeah. the murder of all those soldiers on the road retreating. That was from... the first George Bush. No. Yes, the 100-mile... The, the bombing and so forth was the three-day war and then th that I, i'm pretty certain of that pete i don't think so no well, yes because Bush... i'm sorry 
<laughs> yeah, Bush Jr. Bush Jr. came in. You know, he we was, had the, he was the invasion of Kuwait that he was fighting. That was Bush. That was Bush Senior. Oh, so Ginger's right. Yeah, because yeah. see, I yeah. was taking yeah. photography at the time, and it I it was so bloody watching it, just getting glimpses of machine gunning from airplanes and yeah. tanks pursuing unarmed strafing a yeah. hundred miles of retreating soldiers uh voluntary and, military and, and I, I i that was disillusioning to me too and is now and it's kind of a linchpin that i've used to remind myself of our own empire building that the yep. America after the World War II, and it's very, very important to the theory of the understanding of globalism. America after World War II became the global empire as best it could without seizing a lot of land, just enough islands and to put big military posts like Guam and also uh, putting military posts, I guess hundreds around the world. Hundreds, yeah. And then... Um, getting the top positions and things like the World Bank and using the United Nations. And that was before before um, the Chinese communists grew so strong and they began to vie with us and militarily and then, and then in taking over more of the UN than we did, I think. Um, but folks, it, it's not like America wasn't itself trying to establish an American hegemony or empire over the world because it was in every way it could. And then, but without the kind of militarism that we finally saw with the Bushes. And I think we didn't see the old style empire building of, for instance, Great Britain back in the yeah. last earlier centuries, you know, where... You actually move in and you occupy and run the country. Except, of course, and this is another thing we were thinking about, Ginger and I. We started to watch a film about the um, extension of America from the 14 colonies to the entire North America. Well, mm -hmm. yeah. And that's a story of making war against lesser enemies. Yep. Defined as enemies, mainly because we wanted their land. Against the Native Americans. Well, I was thinking that, but starting with the Native Americans and then the Mexicans. and Oh, yeah, the Mexicans, and, too. And just you know, pushing them out of their lands. and So it's always been like that. So we empire built on North America. Yeah, we did. But yeah. I think in the, in the... And we would have taken Canada. They wouldn't let us. I think in the 20th century, the thing that confused me about recognizing more earlier the degree of the tyranny of the U.S., if you will, was the fact that we didn't seize countries and take them over like, right. like England used to. You know, mm -hmm. that was kind of the, the template that I was looking through, right. but uh, I missed a lot at that point. And boy, did I have a wake-up call when 2020 came around. Uh, we're just going back through. I'm going back through particularly and reading some of the other substacks who are doing this and looking at earlier historical events. And with this new awareness since 2020, I keep going, holy crow, that was totally not what I thought it was. Yeah. It's blown in a way, it's blown the lid off everything. It's like really tearing the veil. Uh, from um, the Wizard of Oz and finding out this <laughs> this big, huge history of things I'd never even thought about myself. I mean, let's go back to just 
the history of vaccination, real vaccination, not this mm -hmm. phony COVID jab. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of issues about that. I, I treated Peter, I had a, a young man in analysis for a years who had had Guillain-Barre mm -hmm. and never once during that entire analysis did I or he or any, I ever even think about the idea that, you know, that could have been the result of a, uh, of a vaccination uh, issue. Okay, he the yeah, understanding absolutely that it was, is. I mean, from yeah, that, it yeah. can be caused by vaccinations, no question. Right, Including the understanding COVID. there, the, but it never the thought never even crossed my Tell mind. Tell people what Galbraith it is. It's really a terrible thing to have. Yeah, it's an ascending paralysis, uh, basically, yeah. that uh, can kill you if it goes too high, and that takes a while to recover from uh, with great supportive care. Um, we were attributing that to post-viral syndromes, basically. That's what the understanding yeah. at that time. And this kid, you know, survived it. And I had him, he had a very successful analysis and he actually became a doctor. But not once did I ever even think about that issue of what I wouldn't the, have Okay. But now, I mean, now with this, with COVID and, and the global operation having really opened up a, a rent in, in the fabric of our perception, there are many, many things we have insights into. Uh, and, um, many more people are alive and awake to these things, which is good, including the sordid history of empire. But Peter, I'm going to get back to this Iraq thing, Bush too. What got me, yeah, I, my awakening was a bit late, I think politically, but what made my blood boil was that he was with Saddam Hussein, who had nothing to do with 9-11, right? But the public was right. convinced by the propaganda that he was behind 9-11, and then they they basically said, well, you've got weapons of mass destruction. And no matter what he did, I knew no matter what he did in the way of inspections or whatever, they were going to go in and invade and bomb that country. And I saw that and I really couldn't believe it. And it happened. Yeah. And that just flicked a switch in me, when that, that kind of duplicity. But now we're living in a world of almost constant duplicity. People yeah. are lying in every way imaginable. I, I, it's hard to comprehend. Every day I wake up and I say, "Can are we still in this? Is this what the world has become? I think it's even worse than lying. We get trolled all the time now. There are all these weird, what look like coincidences and 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 weird kind of labeling of things to make them seem satanic and so forth. Um, yeah, which which I th I think is outright trolling of those of us who aren't in on the big story. I think that that, that there's a a, um, a sadistic pleasure being taken by the overlords, if you will, the, the monster yeah. uh, to <laughs> to make fun of of uh, us little people who are under the thumb of this of this global regime. Oh, that's very well put. They they're they're pulling out everything. They're going to do anything. I expect the worst from them, and I expect it in all different guises as well. And uh, so, I I think the struggle is to balance that understanding of that kind of perfidy with a uh, a, a will to live in something approaching beauty and love and light. And, and truth. I mean, I, I don't like to go around saying I'm a truth teller, he's a truth teller, but, you know, trying to find out the reality of something, facts, uh, that's an important thing.
And that's why when I go back to that book, you know, talking against talking back to Prozac or whatever, a guy's coming out with this balderdash about Prozac, this absolutely unscientific mishmash of, of illusion. You need to you need to counter that. You need to get real about this stuff. He was you, actually, you need to get real about everything. He was actually looking at some patients who got manic on the drug and calling it an improvement. Yeah, which and and can I give you a little? Let me give you a little aside, an example. A, a woman came to me. This is back in the states, and she uh, she was on Prozac. Okay, an elderly woman, sixty six, and she was diagnosed with depression. Her depression was getting worse, so the GP was prescribing more and more Prozac. She was on like a, eighty or hundred milligrams of Prozac. Mm -hmm. This elderly woman threw herself into the Delaware River. Okay, mm -hmm. she had become manic. And actually, she did have an underlying bipolar disorder. I ended up taking care of her, treating her. Her daughter came to me and said that, you know, I had really restored her mother to her after all these years, et cetera. But for me to see this kind of simplistic, unthinking, reflexive approach to treatment was anathema. To keep pushing more, pumping more and more and more of, of something into somebody that had little foundation anyway to begin with. And that's the kind of thing we're up against. But now with COVID, you know, we're up against the, a thing that's so big and so massive that it, it almost defies description. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're really with you. We're tracing our own lives. We've been together for 40 years and, and uh, got together in 85 to, to live together, 84. 83. 83. 40. Why? Yeah, we're working on our forty-first year. Oh my God, but, um, <laughs> that's wonderful! The, yeah, <laughs> congratulations, really. That's Thank wonderful. you. Yeah, um, and we're seeing. Uh, we wrote a book called "The War Against Children of Color," and we're going. We got the property rights, and we're going to reprint it and put it out um, with just an introduction. And we were seeing then the roots of all of this, but we didn't recognize it. Ginger kept saying it's bigger, it's bigger than all this in some way. I think you... I did, but I also said, uh, we've got our hands full with psychiatry. I I felt like I, I put blinders on. Yeah. I just couldn't look at the bigger world, at the evil that might be out there. I really needed to, to just focus in this one arena. We were... Um... I was doing a lot of traveling, and Ginger called me on the phone. This was in the 1990s. This, this would have been 92, I think. Mm -hmm. You called me on the phone. I was out in Reno, and um, you said that the uh, this fellow named... Uh, um, Edward Goodwin. Uh, no. No, not Edward. Fred um, Goodwin. Fred, Fred Goodwin. You're right. Two old people trying to remember an name. We get pieces of <laughs> Fred Goodwin. The Fred Goodwin was a psychiatrist in charge of a major agency that's not existent anymore. He was the most senior psychiatrist right. in the federal government at that time. And, and maybe okay. one of the most influential in the world because he was the head of a huge agency. Right. And uh, that he had, an, he had been, Washington Post blew the whistle and said that Goodwin had made some remarks that were passed on that were given to a huge audience of the leaders of mental health that the government had set up. And in it, he had referred to inner city people, boys, and compared them to rhesus monkeys who just want to kill each other and have sex. 
literally, he said, like in a jungle. Really? And Ginger heard this and she said, I'm, I, I'm going to uh, get the transcript. I said, well, you know, we got a lot of projects going on now. She said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to get on the, I'm going to call the Black Caucus, uh, Dallums, he's the head of Black Caucus right now. Things I had done years earlier in the 70s before we met, I'd worked with the Black Caucus on issues and uh, get down there and get the transcript. And the transcript, by the time I got home, she was doing what we then called the Violence Initiative. And the transcript was about a giant program to go into the inner city to look at the biological and genetic defects in black children. Little children. Forgetting, of course, that means everybody. Right. The adults as well, but little black children from the womb to manhood to see why they were so violent biochemically and to preventively and treat them and then preventive methods. So really, and eventually, eventually, I was able to document that the that it was at least being tossed around the idea of using Prozac to treat this uh, this potential for violence in these really? little children. Yeah, so. You know, it was pure, it was very much the same principles as in Nazi Germany, directed at blacks then too, but more at the Jews, more fervently at us and at me, not Ginger. All of this was very eugenical and uh, racist, obviously. But we, and, had, we had no idea that this was something that was actually brewing and had been brewing throughout the world. With all these institutions, what with, are uh, we talking about now? The COVID? idea of of no of a this global movement to eugenical movement to reduce population. Oh right, studying the yes. genetics. Oh, we're out of time. All right, we have to take a break again, and uh, golly, we'll be we'll be back with Doctor Garcia, Manny Garcia, Manuel, in a few minutes. Changing the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. 
Cofix RX nasal solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. We're back. This is Peter and Ginger Bregan on America Out Loud Pulse with Dr. Emmanuel Garcia, who is uh, a retired psychiatrist um, from uh, that wonderful place that many people think was heaven, New Zealand, the nearest to heaven on earth, a successful socialist state. Um, and it just went over the edge, just like everybody else, if not more so during COVID-19. Where should we go from here? Um, I, have, I have something I would love for the two of you to address. And that is, and, and Manny, you've already touched on it. And that is, how do you live a life that maintains that positive perspective that embraces whatever beauty and inspiration God gives us in this world, how do you do that in the midst of all of this oppression and this evil that we're having to face? I think that's such an important question. And I think every single human well, yeah, being struggles with that. I think Dr. That. Garcia is really a great person to give over the mic to on this question. I'm not so sure I'm the best person. I'm I'm doing I I'm trying on my own to do that. I think that you know the weight of this has been tremendous. We have to acknowledge that first. This has been a a terrible 4 years. It is not going away. What we've seen now and the insights we've gleaned about all the other stuff like eugenics and and other uh global initiatives and this this push to control everybody is massive the uh you know i was very much struck by how now now your bank account isn't safe if you're not doing the right thing all of a sudden they're going to take your money away freeze your assets uh this this assault on the fundamental liberty of, of every human being is now as clear as day and you've got to see it and i think individually you just one has to be prepared to just keep fighting for these liberties which are not in the purview of governments to bestow upon us they're our birthright um and to embrace others who can share with you these great values of of just association intimacy association fun art etc um but it's hard because the world is very much divided you know there are people on the other side of that line who cannot even, they can't see beyond that line. For example, if you, if you dare to say anything for, I, I had a relative, uh, who at the age of 39 had a heart attack, very fit guy, rugby player, whatever. And when I spoke to, um, his, uh, sister-in-law about that, her response was, uh, Oh, well he had plaque. 
Okay, so you can't even you can't even begin to there's no opening with some people, and I think we have to. I'm not a kind of I'm not a preacher. I'm not a, a messianic kind of person. I'm not going to be starting conversations with everybody I see, and I'm not trying to persuade anybody of anything. But don't take my rights away from me. All right, and so I associate with people who share these values, and I have uh, some great friendships, and I've. Uh, you know, enjoyable physical activities and artistic activities uh, when I can. But it's not an easy question to answer. You know, there's a world, you know, it's coming down to, do these people, I, I don't like to use these generalities, but it's, you know, I'm a pacifist. I'm a person who believes that loving is a beautiful thing, a wonderful thing. That's why we're here. Uh, what do these people want, these overlords? What do they want to do to everybody? What are they creating? What's the end point? Well, partly they want to deny the existence of love because it's unbearable to them, I think. They're so into power. The more you get into power, the less you can be into love. That's that's <clears> beautifully put. That's exactly, I, exactly right. You're exactly right about that. And, Power uh, to what end? To what end? And to what end? I keep asking. What to what end will it bring all these will bring these people? These few? These uh, whatever you want to call them? Yeah, it will bring them to naught in terms of uh, God. If there is a God, I, I still have some faith. There's a God, and um, Ginger does too. Probably stronger than mine. Um, but they are driven not by love and empathy. They're driven by the absence of it. And mm. when that's gone, when you can't really hug your wife and everything is good, or hug your husband or your children or your dog or look at nature and everything becomes good, when you don't have that spiritual ability, uh, everything becomes something to be controlled, destroyed, used. Yeah. Um, I think that's a part of it, but it's as complicated as life itself. But one of my, one of my emphases in, in response to Ginger's question that we she and I talk about is that knowing that the world has always been this way, that yes. there have always been empires. If you look at yes. any history, any written history that we know of, it's filled with empires. I mean, when the U.S. was fighting Great Britain's empire in 1776, there was a Portuguese empire, a Dutch empire, a British empire, a French empire, a Russian empire, and I think there was one in India and one in China and a few in, in uh, Africa. So people have lived under this. And if you look at any time in the Bible when God talks about what he, his view of the world, he starts naming through Moses, uh, for example, all the empires. We haven't even heard of some of them, I believe, and some yeah. we have, that he's going to punish or the Jews are going to take over them, whatever, in the Old Testament. Um, and um, we have to realize that this is not an exception. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is empire building in the age of technology and public health. Well, right. I mean, that I think is critical. You know, I I I studied the classics, so I know a little bit about the Roman Empire and and even mm -hmm. the Athenian Empire. Remember, the great democracy of Athens was an empire that was running roughshod over the Peloponnesus, etc. Yes. Uh, 
But uh, and then Alexander did him in. And Alexander, yeah, I mean, my God, and 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 I wouldn't have like, I would not have liked to have lived in ancient Rome under the Roman no, Empire. Believe no, me, that I would wouldn't have, have wanted to miserable... live across the river in Turkey. What's now Turkey? Either when he came right. marching through. But but you said something right now. What's happened? The the concentration of power, the technological advances in in concentrating power. And the globalized nature of that yes. ability is is that's unique. That the world has never been so small yeah. as it were. And that goes right to what you say in your book. I mean, this is a massive global phenomenon that could only be made possible in our age because of these kinds of advances. I'm yeah. sure if Genghis Khan could have done flicked a switch and done, you know, we'd shut everybody down at one point, he would have done yeah. it. Right. Or if he had AI and a supercomputer, and uh, he'd he'd be getting the ID of every single person in his uh, millions of uh, slaves, exactly. as we as they're going to do, and they're doing exactly. Yeah, the impulses are the same, folks. There's nothing new under this sun. This particular one, I think, the newest thing under the sun was act. And I say this as a Jew, the real newest thing under the sun was Jesus saying, "We're supposed to love God and love one another." That's what's yeah. new under the sun. And that leads to the desire for freedom, the belief in each person's freedom. That's what our founders based it on. They based it on. It, lead, it, lead, it led to a, a respect and a love for the individual. Yeah. That's beautifully put. Now, Peter, by the way, my grandfather was Jewish. He was a Murano from Barcelona. So even though I grew up Catholic, I've got Jewish uh, heritage. Well, you know, I just thought I was talking to a fellow Jew. It's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> said, well, I, I guess not. I think it comes out, Peter comes out, you know, we can't help it. But you know, what you said about Jesus' message, Jesus was a Jew, by the way, people, people forget, <laughs> forget about forget this, that, right? Yeah. Was absolutely beautiful. And and that line between from Jesus to those principles enunciated by the founders uh, that are embedded in the Constitution. And I've said to say to people... That and Exodus, they also were deeply the founders deeply into Exodus. That's right. That's exactly right. And so what you have is, I know people are people. People destroy things. People mangle things. People change things. But these beautiful principles are 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 just, they're the foundation for something that's, that's really, that for love, freedom, and beauty. And these are the principles. I, I, if I had to describe myself politically, I'd say I'm a constitutionalist. Okay? Yes, that's and how con- I think of myself too yeah, good that's so, fascinating. yeah so there we are in that but i think you, is there a constitution really in new zealand that's anything comparable we, to ours no we have a bill of rights but it's quite a uh, uh an anemic document that was run roughshod when we had the parliamentary protest here by the government so it doesn't have any anything like we don't have a constitution like uh, the united states i mean that's a unique political document in the world yeah, it's interesting. It, it's not like the other nations went and copied it. They they took pieces of it, but then they they still wanted more power, the people who were exactly. deciding on these things. Maybe that's exactly. why Klaus Schwab said that America was the barrier to his con- concept of the Great Reset, that and the Second Amendment, because well, I think he's, he's got right. an and armed populace. Ginger, I think, Ginger, I think you're absolutely right. I think it, America is is the standard bearer. I mean, again, I know what the American empire has done and what the people and the deep yeah. state has done and all that, right. but that's different from these principles. 
these tremendously, these beautiful principles that transcend the era in which they were formulated. And I think uh, uh, if I have great hopes that America is going to lead the way towards a real renaissance. And, and I'm looking for that in about 2025, in about a year, the beginnings of something. Oh, that would be wonderful. I really do. I really hope so. I really think so. And uh, and many more people. You know, Peter McCullough is doing great work. Remember the great Vladimir Zelenko with his Before He Died? He and was what a he dear did. friend, actually. He was yes. a friend. Um, I wish I had met him. I it, I really wish I had met him. He was a great person, a real doctor, right? A real doctor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, so we have the, there, but there are, there are good people who have risen up and who are standing up and who are fighting for these good things. And there, you know, I think that in terms of the individuality that the Constitution supports and that uh, the the loved one another concept from the Bible and from Jesus really helped to imbue us with, I think that we need to remember individuals can make a difference and we need to remind ourselves of that. Absolutely. Every Absolutely. single day. I've had this idea that I've been toying with, and that is what can individuals do to get in and tinker with and throw a monkey wrench into this huge mechanistic kind of control that's being built. So Catherine Watt refers to it as a kill box into which we're all being placed. And yeah. it's very, uh, complicated and technical. And so I start to ask myself, well, we've seen some of the doctors speaking out because the vanguard of this whole oppression, the, the emergence of it came through the medical field. But where are the engineers? Where are the coders? Where are the computer geeks? Where mm. are the... Uh, uh, the the wannabe Julian Assange's, where are people from any walk of life who can get in and and monkey wrench whatever piece of this uh, mechanism is being put in place that they are close to or that they understand or that they're trained in. And uh, I hope and pray that there are a lot of those people out there quietly preparing to do what they can to disrupt what we see being put into place. Um, I, I don't expect people just to stand up and say, oh, I'm right here and get knocked down the next day by the, right. uh, by, by the authorities. So, but I really hope that individuals can remind themselves that whatever little piece they can do, that makes a difference. And that brings together your little piece with our piece and with someone else's piece. And all of that could really turn this around. We really are much more. There are more of us than there are of the global predators. So we really can't just throw up our hands and say it's too late. No, not at all. No, and I think that's beautifully articulated. And I actually know of one of those people in that domain you refer to. I can't even say any more than I'm saying right now because it's so sensitive. Good. Who has been at work. 
So there are people there and, you know, in these, you know, there's a, there's a thing in physics known as emergent properties, which is that if, uh, if some kind of material is uh, cooled down to a certain temperature, whatever, it develops properties that you couldn't have predicted if you, you know, from its physics, normal physics, we can't predict what's going to happen when enough of us individuals keep fighting for what's right and what's good. And we keep showing by example that we can live a life without fear, fear at every corner, fear of getting a cough, a cold, dying, fear of uh, bruising your knee now. I mean, this is, they've been pushing the narrative of fear so effectively, okay? But we have people living by example and living and doing their things and something's gonna emerge. Something is, is already emerging from all this. We need help. We need help in a lot of other ways from bigger people, bigger players, and that help is going to come. Yeah, I think so. My hope is people will look at themselves and say, what are my gifts? Can I take my gifts to the school board and run for office right. or speak out? Uh, can I encourage us all to develop our own farms and our own uh, institutions? Can I go work in a community bank and strengthen it and have it stand up more to the establishment. Um, exactly. And uh, Peter, the other thing I'm going to say that there's, you know, scholarship is so important. Scholarship is the pursuit of truth in a careful, studied, comprehensive, slow way, not an impulsive reaction to something. And, you know, that's almost been thrown out the window by, by, uh, by our time. Yes. There's a need. That's why that. That's why your book is so important. We need someone to sit down to take this material carefully to put it together to reason in in the um, uh, with with in in that atmosphere of reflection. Thank you. You're a man who's basically empathic, supportive, loving, caring, and brave, and uh, willing to change your life dramatically for your principles. Folks, uh, go to Bregan.com and uh, sign up for our frequent alerts. Ginger does uh, Bregan alerts. Bregan alerts. Yes. And Ginger does a fabulous job with this. We have about 45,000 people who get this with very high opening rate. It's free. It's our newsletter. Our newsletter. Get it for free. And go to us. Go to our uh, Substack as well. And thank you so much, Dr. Emmanuel Garcia. 